You are listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, I had a a time in life where um, I was working at one church and then shifted over to work at a different church uh, named Highland Park Presbyterian Church, a church I was at right before this. Uh, in Dallas, and um, at the time I was moving, one of the things about being a pastor and shifting to a new church is, um, like, I was still pretty local, but, you know, like, you might change a job, but you still keep your same church, so you might have some deep community there, but you change up. Well, if you're a pastor and you change churches, you kind of, you know, you change jobs and churches, like, they kind of go together, you know, and so I, I had this time in my life where I changed churches, I changed jobs, we were moving to a new home. Um, we had little kids at the time. Uh, I, was, um, I was finishing a degree at seminary, and all of this was like piled on top of each other. And um, I was trying to think of a good phrase for it, and I think David actually has one in our psalm today. He says, save me, O God, the waters have come up to my neck. You felt that way, I'm sure. It's a, good, it's a good illustration, it's a good image, isn't it, of just like the, water, the water's up to here. It can't go much higher either. Um, David's going to talk about his enemies, uh, which, by the way, this church I was going to, there, was, there were some changes that needed to be made, and I already knew some people had pre-decided whatever I did was going to be wrong. Uh, and so there were, in, a, in that sense, enemies there. But going there, you've got enemies, you've got um, stress and busyness and worry, like all these different things can just start to add up where you go, I am up to my neck. I, I'm guessing you've been there. I will say, actually, I mean, I'm making it sound like a big deal. Most of the people at the church where I went to, they were awesome, and they were godly people, and they were on my side and just wanted it to succeed. You know, wanted the, I was over the kids and student ministry. They just wanted it to succeed. Um, the, the thing I was stressed about at school was seminary, which let me tell you, uh, nobody cares about your grades in seminary at all. And so uh, there wasn't that much stress, I guess. So I, like, I'm sure there's people here that if we, if we like went toe to toe, your story's worse. You would, you would have a very similar, you would have a, a similar thing, but maybe even like heightened where you're going, oh, I get it. That water was up to my neck. David talks about this, and here's the whole gist of what he's about to say, okay? He's going to say, the water's up to my neck, and he's going to say, um, and I'll I'll bring it to us, the water's up to my neck, sometimes the fault is from other people. Sometimes the reason the water's up to my neck, sometimes the reason I'm so busy, sometimes the reason I'm stressed is them. It's, It's the world, it's somebody else in the world that is doing something. Sometimes, though, the reason the water's up to my neck is me. I did something. I'm, I'm reaping the rewards or not lack thereof for what I've neglected to do in my life. And so sometimes when you're up to your neck, it's because of others. Sometimes when you're up to your neck, it's because of you. But what David wants us to hear and what I want you to hear above all perhaps is God has not left you in the midst of it. If you feel like you are up to your neck, God is there. I'm going to give you hopefully some hope in the, hope in the flood, we'll call it here today. Maybe you're in that space right now, or maybe you've got someone else that's walking through that, and you're you know, coming alongside them and walking with them. Here's some hope when we have to say, the water's up to my neck. Listen to what David says. He says, I, th- I sink d- in deep mire, that's mud, where there's no foothold. 
I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. This is great imagery. You can picture him, the water's up to my neck and on the ground I can just kind of with my tippy toes sort of feel, oh, there's something down there. Can I just find some solid footing? And just as he gets it, he pushes it away and it's just this wet mud that's not gonna hold him up at all. And so he's just, I just picture him paddling and paddling and getting excited and then it goes right through the mud again, over and over and over. I've come to deep waters, the flood sweeps over me. You can see that it's up to here, but it sounds like it's also just crashing over him as well. And then notice the irony in this. The problem here is all the water everywhere. And then what does he say? He says, I am weary with crying out, my throat is parched. So don't miss that that the problem he's having is water, and then he's going, but my throat is too dry. Like that is how much he is just, he is so focused, he is so um, passionate about giving hope-filled prayers up to God in the midst of being up to his neck. Now one of the things when when we're already kind of up to our neck, if it's stress, busyness, enemies, whatever it might be, um, it's easy to think of, okay, so are, are you saying I shouldn't do anything? Well, of course not, David's paddling. All right, there's, there's things that we do, but David's primary and first instinct is to cry out to God. And rather than say, you know, oh, you're already stressed and busy, let me put one other thing on your plate of some religious duty that you're supposed to perform in the midst of all this. Um, what God is after in these times is our hearts. And look at what it says in verse 30. It says, I will praise the name of God with song. I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. That's a heart response to what God has done. And it says, this will please the Lord more than, and this is like religious motions, than an ox or bull with horns and hoofs. So see, instead of just saying like, okay, so it's up to my neck, I get that imagery, so now I'm just supposed to do a bunch of religious-y type dutiful things, and really what he's saying is, the question he's getting to is, does God have your heart? This, This is a crying out from our hearts to God. In fact, I would say if in this moment, like these are the times when we demonstrate that God has our heart, when the water's up to our neck. This isn't to add this thing to the list of good things, perhaps, that you're already doing when the water's up to your neck. This is the thing. This is the first thing. This is the thing that David is saying, my throat is parched because I am so fervently doing this thing. I'm so focused on God in these moments. And so, you know, you think about it, and rather than just thinking about, so do I just sort of sit there and cry out? Well, yes, that's a way to do it. But it could be that there's a way that you can make space to have something meaningful happen that can stir your heart for him. Rather than just having like a religious duty I need to perform, how can my heart be stirred for him? So I don't know if it's gonna work here. I guess you need your snowshoes, but go for a hike, grab an audio Bible and stick it in and just let a passage of scripture just wash over you. You can do things like that. Go to the gym and watch an episode of the the chosen, or if you have another show you like that stirs your heart for God, go, go do that. Move your body and get your mind focused on things like that. Those are the kinds of things we can actually do that can stir our hearts for God and remind us of the deep love that we have for him. That's what sustains us when the water's up to our neck. We cry out to God because he loves us. Notice what he says. He says, my eyes grow dim with waiting for God. Not only is the water up to his neck, because you've had situations like that too, you ever just felt like you're waiting and you're praying and you're going, if I were God, I would solve this pretty quick. And you're going, any day now, God, any second now, God, anytime you want to do this now, God, I'm ready for some resolution. I'm ready for the next thing. I'm ready to not have this open loop. I'm ready for the loop to be closed. 
And he is looking up, he's crying out to God, trusting in God, giving this hope-filled prayer to God. And at the same time, he says, I'm just waiting on you. Can feel that way sometimes when there's no apparent solution on the horizon. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Probably uh, Christians and non-Christians have a lot of this in common that we would, that we would go, I've, I've been in those situations, up to my neck, no hope in sight, I get that. But here, here's what I would just say. If you're here and you're not a Christian, here's just something to consider. How would you end that sentence? My eyes grow dim with waiting for blank. What would it be? Waiting for um, the you know, fate to change, waiting for circumstances to change. What, what am I hoping for in this moment to say, um, I'm crossing my fingers, I'm hoping for my circumstances, I'm hoping life changes, I'm hoping things just turn a corner. Like There's just something out there going, I hope things just get better. And I have to say, as a Christian, we shouldn't think that way. We should be thinking, I can bring these requests to the throne of grace of God Almighty who is sovereign over this and who sees me with the water to my neck and loves me. Our hope is in God. We wait for God. And here's where he gets into, okay, so whose fault is this? It's either them or is it me? He starts with the them. He says, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Now, some, some may not be in this place. I will tell you, I've talked to a number of people that are feeling this, so let me just say, wearing the label of Christian 20 years ago was quite a noble thing in our world. Wearing the label of Christian today, um, we are a group that can be publicly admonished for sins that I would say we never even committed. Not that Christians are perfect, but have, I know many of you, I don't need to ask, I know many of you have felt this way where you go, if, if I live for this thing like the scripture teaches, boy, a while back, that was just a good noble thing. Now it feels like it has completely been a pendulum shift. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who, this phrase comes to mind, who hate me without cause. The reason it comes to mind is because I'm thinking of our day and I'm thinking, I feel like there's people that hate Christians and if they, gosh, if they really knew the goodness of Jesus Christ that we follow, man, we'd have some great conversations. Man, I think their heart would change. Man, I think their mind would change. Those who hate me without cause. This is one, by the way, Jesus quotes this in the New Testament in John chapter 15. And it's about, the, it's about this exact concept I'm talking about, about the world hating people. John 15, he says this. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, he's talking to his followers, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So listen to what he just said. Jesus just said the fight with the world is a spiritual battle. He's saying the reason people think this way, behave this way, act this way is because there is a spiritual battle going on. Verse 24, if I, had done not, uh, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. See, it's a spiritual battle. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And here it is. He quotes the psalm. They hated me without a cause. So if you ever, and I know hate is a strong word, but if you ever feel hated for your Christian beliefs, know this, that you are dealing with a spiritual issue in our culture. You are standing in the line of the apostles and the first followers of Jesus that were martyred for their faith. 
You are living away, following in the footsteps of Jesus, who was crucified and hung on a cross in his day, and you are living in a way that is pleasing to God. So know that. David says, mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. Why, what I did not steal must I now restore. It's interesting. He just said, somebody else stole it, but I feel like I'm guilty for it somehow. I, I have to pay the price for something that somebody else did. And he's going, well, that doesn't seem fair. So David is just going, my life stinks. We read this as Christians and go, the idea of what I did not steal, must I now restore? Why would I pay for something somebody else did? That's exactly what Jesus did. That Jesus doesn't look at Jim's sin and go, why should I pay for that? Jim's the one that did that. Why should I pay for him? Why should I pay for her? They're the ones that did it. He looks and says, it is their sin and their burden and I will take it on and I will take it all the way to the cross. That's what Christ did for us. He says, more, numbers, uh, more in numbers than the hairs on my head are my enemies. Jesus took this actual phrase. So David's taking it to say, my enemies, it's more than the very hairs on my head. Like our hair falls out and we don't even realize that we're losing hair, people. And we just know, I, I, I'm sure I'm losing hair over time and it's falling out constantly and growing back constantly. And David uses that to say, that's like my enemies. Look at the, the more than the hairs on my head. And Jesus took that phrase, and many of you know this, he redeemed it in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The thing that you and I can never count, Jesus can. Jesus knows you, he sees you even in the midst when the water is up to your neck. So I just think if maybe you're up to your neck today or maybe you've been in that spot and um, maybe you would go, it's, it's because of them. Probably not 100% obviously, but you go, it's because of them, it's because of life, it's because of the world. It's not, this wasn't the case where it was even my doing that I'm in here and the waters are up to my neck. And you're crying out and just wondering, God, this is not fair, this is not okay. Know that he knows the very hairs on your head. That he sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you. And sometimes that's the case, is we're up to our neck because of something else that we have very little control over. At the same time, David's gonna say, sometimes I'm in this predicament because of me. Verse five, oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. I don't quote the message very much, but I like how it phrases it. It says, my life is a wide open book before you. God, I am giving up pretending that I'm pretty great and pretty perfect. You know my deep, dark sin. I agree with your assessment of my sin. That, that's really what he's saying here. And sometimes when we're feeling like, man, I am up to my neck, we have to get very particular about our own sin to think I'm up to my neck because I'm a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. I can't say no. I'm up to my neck because I'm just a paranoid person. I just have fear in life. I just think people are out to get me. I, I, I'm up to my neck because I get my esteem from being stressed and busy. You ever met people like that? Maybe, maybe you're one of them. How are you? If you can't answer like stressed and busy, you're like, you almost feel like you should, like it's almost this badge of honor. Like I'm, I'm stressed, I'm so busy, like I'm so important. 
or uh, maybe I'm up to my neck, I have enemies because I pick fights unnecessarily. Saw this quite a bit during COVID where I would watch people have interactions and they were having a decent interaction and then that one guy would come in and just go from zero to 90. That he knew everything that was right, everything that was wrong and he would just come in and just ramp it up and was just itching for a fight and then he's like, yeah, it's kind of hard. Sometimes people don't like me. I'm like, I know why people don't like you, man. Because you're coming in and you're going from zero to 90 really fast. You're looking for a fight. So yes, it's your decision Maybe the water's up to your neck because your kid's future is not entrusted to God. Or maybe, I think this is a common one. I'm up to my neck right now. I'm so stressed. Because I got godly counsel that I decided to ignore. That happens a lot. I, I would love, like with our young people especially, I would love to just somehow convince them and just go, I, I know your parents aren't perfect. I know my generation isn't perfect. But in general, if you follow the godly counsel of Christian adults, your life will go better than if you don't. I would love to just somehow, but I get it. Like when I was, when I was that age, I'd be like, mm, that's interesting, but you know, I'm, I'm 12. I kind of know what I'm doing, right? I wish that would be the case. So here, here's, here's where I'd leave you today is, um, how do we know, it, like when, whenever we find ourselves up to our neck, it's a healthy thing to just say, is it, is it here or is it out there somewhere? And again, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, in most cases, but, but um, um, some people can, can really swing the pendulum pretty hard. For some people, like I'm up to my neck and it's never my fault. You know people like that? It is always his fault. It is always her fault. It is this political person's fault. It is the world's fault. It's whoever, it is somebody else's fault. It is not my fault. Here's a way to tell if you maybe fall too far to that side. If um, I, I find with people, the more general your own sin is and the more specific theirs is, you are probably blaming them. This is the person that goes, well, I'm, I mean, no one's perfect, so I'm sure I'm not perfect either, but let me just get out my, let me pull up my Word document with all the sins that they've committed against me. That's probably a sign that you're in that spot of the blame game. And it's good to be measured to understand what is the fault of someone out there, but where's my responsibility in this too? Um, I also see people that the only counsel they ever get is people who will just agree with everything they say. Oh, she did that to you? Oh yeah, I, that's I can't believe she would do that. As though there's only the one side to the story. If, if, all the, if you don't have anybody around you that will tell you, boy, that does seem like, like he or she, you know, they really messed up. Can we talk about you for just a minute? If you don't have anybody that's gonna push you like that, you probably have the wrong people around you and your life will be, I'm a victim and everything out there is doing all these things to me. But listen, there are also people, that one's probably more common, there's also people that will say, everything is my fault. I will take on, I will take on every bit of guilt. This is, this is the woman that stays in an abusive relationship and people are going, why would you do that? Well, he's not that bad. Somehow I did these things and I deserve it and somehow it's justified and you go, oh, I just, I wanna, I wanna help you out of that. So we can be measured people that can go, I specifically know the things I've done that have put me up to my neck, but I'm not gonna take on a greater burden than I have to. I know that there's some other factors out there that have played into it as well. You know, I think um, the healthy thing to do, I'll sum it up like this, when you're up to your neck, is to ask, what is me and what's them? 
What's my issue in this? What's their issue in this? And then we can be very measured in walking through this together. And above everything else, know that God is there. God is not the one at fault. That's one of the things David wants us to know as well. We can, the, the one who knows that the enemies around us are like the hairs on our head also knows the very number of the hairs on our own head. The one who saw what our crime was and didn't go, Psh, why would I have to pay that? He came to earth and he paid it. And so we, we live in this time where I just want to encourage you, man, cry out to him until your throat is parched. He is good and he is listening and he loves you. Nikki and I have had sort of a, a strange week. We had, um, before, I, uh, before I came here, I was a, a family pastor I mentioned at a church, Highland Park Presbyterian in Dallas, and several of you sent this to me, and I didn't reply to all of them, but um, they just found out this week, the pastor there at my former church um, went to sleep one night uh, last, I guess it was Thursday night, and woke up Friday morning in the arms of Jesus. He died in his sleep of natural causes. Um, 44 years old, great health. I, was, I mean, as far as like, if you saw him, he's a runner. Like you would look at him and go, man, we played, I worked there with him and we played basketball against each other and it was embarrassing. He just ran circles around me and, um, uh, and he was the pastor there and uh, had become a good friend and I met with him regularly. And, uh, and so it was surreal to just see his picture on Facebook or on uh, whatever I was, Instagram, with a dash and an end date next to his name, 1979 to 2023. Um, yeah, he's a he was a really great guy. Um, and so we got that news this week and um, all the shock and all, the, all that kind of stuff. This is the guy that when I, when I got the call here, um, he was the pastor. I met with him all the time and he, he, was, he was probably the most supportive, encouraging person. It was my last Sunday and he did a big thing and for me, another guy that we're leaving and he, he, he said, you know, don't forget us about us out there. And he gave me a Dallas Cowboys baseball hat that I still wear, you know, as I'm, as I'm watching him lose again, I guess. But uh, he was just, he was just that kind of guy. Um, and so he, when he passed, it was a bit shocking, but then there was something, something sort of beautiful within, in, within this as well. And it was, I, I looked at it, and then I looked at the comments that were on Instagram about the post about this guy's passing. And you think, young guy gave his life to be a pastor. Why in the world is this happening? And uh, I guess I just thought this. I thought, as, much as, as long as I get to be the pastor here, I hope that I can help shape a people by God's grace to have responses to this like they did. It was... We don't understand why this happened. We'll miss you, but you've taught us to love God and we trust him. These are the comments on Instagram about this. Um, Brian, we miss you. You're loved, but we trust God. You've told us love him no matter what, and so that's what we're gonna do. And on and on and on. And I was going, these are deep Christian believers that are responding to something pretty difficult in a really, really beautiful way. Um, I was texting with some of the guys this morning. They're, this morning is the morning that they're doing a, um, like a prayer service kind of thing. And that's what they're going to be wrestling with. And I'm, I'm just thinking back where this came from was on the comments, one of the things it said was, can we get together as a church to pray and to worship God? Our pastor just died. Can we get together to pray as a church and to cry out to God? It's just the, that's the exact appropriate response to have. And so I want to just close today with um, something that... Um, 
Something that he said once, and this was on his, uh, excuse me, it was on the, the post when they announced his passing as well. Uh, he said, sometimes when there aren't words to say, when there aren't answers or cliches or verses to quote, sometimes the only comfort we have is to share in our sufferings. It's the only way to hold on to that fragile sense of hope that God is with us in the suffering. That day came when God put on flesh and entered this world. In his suffering, he became our comforter, our deliverer. His name's uh, Brian Dunnigan, and you'll get, to, you'll get to meet him someday.